The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi, this is Ryan Ferrier, the writer of Kennel Block Blues, and you're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 242, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, February 3rd. My name's Matt Baum, you can find me on at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter, and when I'm not shooting arrows of love into the butts of angry Republican presidential candidates, I'm writing the comic book speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, that's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and when I'm not manning the free THN kissing booth, because I'm not in it for the money. Well, he's a slut. I'm searching for meaning as the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, in this week's episode, you're going to hear our reviews of Kennel Block Blues number one and Mirror number one. After that, Joe and I will review 10 more of this week's comics while we dodge Star Fox's advances during the ludicrous speed round. Yikes. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we've conducted some weird science and are talking about some of next week's comics with some sexy 80s starlets. And finally, Elise Wisdom is here just in time to make your Valentine's Day a nerdy one when she lays down some words of wisdom. But before we pass out condoms and Axe Body Spray, let's make sure to appreciate our special somebodies this week, or we'll have way more Fallout 4 time on our hands. And then we can talk about this week's big news! Yeah. Here we go, Matt. It's happening. Let's get into it. Following an initial wave of rumors as well as mysterious tweets from high-profile DC creators, a second wave of rumors regarding DC's upcoming Rebirth event have arrived online. Bleeding Cool has shared the rumors cited from various unnamed sources that see the entire DC superhero comics line potentially reborn this June. Ain't no source like an unnamed source, let me tell you. <laughs> That's right, because an unnamed source can't be held responsible. <laughs> Matt, let's just get right down to the nitty gritty. We'll address... Each rumor, one at a time. Oh, my God. Then we'll give our final thoughts at the end. Sound all good right, to you? All right, all right, all right. All right. So, Bleeding Cool has stated that Rebirth is currently slated as a, quote, relaunch with a modicum of retconning. <laughs> Come on! Rather than a <laughs> reboot altogether. Though, creators have been instructed to, quote, keep an open mind when pitching ideas, and that hasn't necessarily ruled out the possibility of a complete reboot. <sighs> That doesn't mean anything. Just reboot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is what happened the last time yes. you tried this. Shit. The last two times. I mean, really. Just commit and reboot, okay? We screwed up. We're sorry. We want you to read DC Comics. We're starting over. <sighs> All right. Every relaunched book in the Rebirth might receive a Rebirth special in June leading up to the new number one issue. A number of the titles, such as Batman and Superman, not Batman and Superman. Right. Will run twice a month, bi-weekly. Please don't just crank it out. Yeah, they've never done stuff like that before, <laughs> certainly. Right. <clears throat> Suicide Squad. <clears throat> <laughs> While it hasn't been locked down, rumors suggest that Tom King will take over writing duties on the bi-weekly Batman, which is great news. Maybe. Maybe. It has also been rumored that current Batman writer Scott Snyder will take over Detective Comics, which 
is said to remain monthly. Which it's just like, ooh, Scott Snyder is going to be leaving Batman. Where is he going to go? Well, oh my God. To be going fair. To detective? To be fair, they, <laughs> DC never played it like that. I know, I know, like, I know. They came right out and said like, yep, yeah, we're, we're probably moving to detective. And I think the reason is Batman's going to be kind of like the event book, you know, right. and Snyder's going to go back to telling detective stories. Right, exactly. Which I hope that's what like, they do. Batman is a superhero book. Detective is a detective book. That used to be like that, and we loved it. Uh, it should also be noted that both Snyder and his longtime artistic partner, Greg Capullo, have confirmed that they will reunite for a major project later this year. Capullo's taking a break to do a creator-owned thing. Oh, Capullo's doing something with Mark Millar. Yeah, yeah. But then later this year, they're coming back together. Like, after six months, they're coming back together, and the rumor is it's going to be Superman-centric. I think it's action comics. Probably, right? I'll definitely take a Superman title by... Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. Yeah, sure. Couldn't hurt. Every storyline he's done in Batman has been this six issue or 12 issue epic. Right. Craziness. Like if we can do more like Black Mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Type stuff. I'm like, yes. yeah, I'd be into that. According to an unnamed source. Like the, again, the best kind that guy. <laughs> seven titles will be canceled before rebirth. And the rumor is these books are on the chopping block. Batman, Superman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Grayson, Starfire, Black Canary, Midnighter, and Dr. Fate. Yeah, none of them are selling well. It's not a big shock. On the flip side to the cancellations, there is also a claim that some of those solo heroes will just be moved back to uh, headlining in other books like Starfire uh, moving to a relaunched Titans book, right? Black Canary in a relaunched version of Birds of Prey, and uh, Dick Grayson is rumored to be returning to Nightwing. I would guess. I mean, that always sold better. I didn't think that could, they could sustain the secret agent thing for and that I really, long. Yeah, I really like Grayson, and I don't have a problem with Celie and King writing you know, a Nightwing story at oh, all. Oh, sure, that would be great. I think getting rid of something like Superman Wonder Woman suggests that after Rebirth, Superman will no longer be dating Wonder Woman, Well, which is fine with me. That moves me to the next rumor, which is that with the end of Batman slash Superman and Superman slash Wonder Woman... Uh, the rumor is that there will be a new Trinity series with all three of them. Right. And that will be twice a month and it will be some, you know, big event hoopla. Wasn't the first Trinity, was that Matt Wagner? There was a three issue prestige format right. miniseries called Trinity by Matt Wagner. Okay. And then there was the year long weekly series. Oh, that's right. By Kurt Busiek. It was terrible. As uh, I recall. I believe Mark Bagley drew it. Yeah, it was bad. I don't remember it very fondly. Nobody remembers Mark Bagley's DC work very fondly. No, I'm sorry. I don't. <laughs> and we love Mark Bagley. A number of new books are rumored to launch as part of Rebirth, including The Superman. Huh? Yeah. Man of Steel. <laughs> new Green Lantern, which they say will star Jessica Cruz, who, if you are not currently reading Justice League, uh, she is Power Ring. In the current Justice League, she's got the evil. So poorly named. She's got the evil Green Lantern ring from Earth, <laughs> from the crime syndicate Earth. Right. Another book, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. So Hal and the GLC back together. Well, you know. Maybe he'll ditch the trench coat and the mullet. <laughs> Boy, I hope not. <laughs> Here's something that sounds pretty good. The new Superman writer is rumored to be Pete Tomasi. Yeah, I love Pete Tomasi. He did, kid, did a kick-ass job on Batman and Robin. I have no uh, problem with him writing Superman. He had a fun Superman. run on Nightwing that I yeah. remember fondly. He's great. And he's one of those DC guys that they just like won't give enough play to, and I don't know why. Here is something that fills me with both glee and dread. 
A new Justice Society of America book is rumored to arrive as part of Rebirth, starring what is described as a team of young heroes brought forward in time mm. where they will fight alongside the JLA. All the Golden Age GSA guys? Here's what it sounds like. It sounds like all new X-Men with the JSA. Yeah. So on the one hand, they're saying they're restoring the idea that the JSA existed in this world and I predated guess. the Justice League. Yeah which is great, which is 100% what I want. But then they are bringing the young versions to the present. Yeah. Ah, I don't Uh, know. Yeah, we'll see. I'm going to count it as a baby step. (laughs) Okay. As long as Brian Michael Bendis is writing it, it'll be okay. Yeah, right. Right. We're almost there. In addition to a new Titans series where they said uh, Starfire was going to go, of course, there will also be a Teen Titans series with Damian Wayne in the lead as Robin. I'm all right with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the kids should be in a Teen Titans book. Right. I'm I, fine with that. And I liked it when they did like the Titans where the old Teen Titans were mentoring. Yes. Like the Teen Titans and like everybody picked a mentor. And I don't really see Damian as being the guy that wants to do that oh he's gonna be a son of a bitch (laughs) like for one thing i don't see him as a team player and i don't think he's going to be interested in leading a team of inexperienced teenagers Well, that could be part of the fun like maybe maybe he gets in real trouble and this is maybe like probation batman Batman makes him yeah you gotta do this yeah you're gonna prove you're a big boy (laughs) and the last rumor and the most troublesome in many ways one of the integral ideas of Rebirth depends on something in the upcoming Batman v Superman film. Uh, but that plot point is still a secret to both the editors and the creators working on the new line. Uh, but if you remember, <laughs> it's just like when they came to the Marvel bullpen with Star Wars <laughs> and they were like, hey, we want you to make a comic book about Star Wars. We can't tell you what it's about. Right. Darth Vader's in it. And they went, got it. Green, <laughs> green rabbit. Got it. But if you remember when we first talked about the rebirth rumor, it was that they were trying to line things up a little closer to the movies. That seems to be the big rumor. Like they want to stick closer to the movies and TV because that's what's kicking ass for DC right now. You know what? I hate it. I hate it, but it's not for me. This is for audiences like a a guy I work with the other day we had a huge snowstorm we were all snowed in and he texted me and he's like I just watched like six episodes of that Gotham show I really like it (laughs) and I was just like hands on my face and I was like oh man and and all he said was hey that's great you know uh you should download the DC app and check out some Batman comics you know and he downloaded the long Halloween read it and loved it and went wow this is really nothing like that Gotham show this is totally different (laughs) no yeah (laughs) So, I mean, I understand why they're trying to line stuff up with their movies and their TV shows, because that is where they're winning. Well, TV shows anyway. We'll see with the movie. I right. don't know. It, but so, I also don't love it. I don't need it. I'm perfectly fine with it being two separate things. I am too. And something that kind of made me feel a little bit better was when Rich Johnston kind of updated the rumor saying that what they meant by putting things more in line with the movies was more in terms of like the specific titles that they published, like a bigger focus on Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and the Suicide Squad and that sort of thing. Not that they were going to alter the characters to match the movies. Right. But we'll see more emphasis on the flash and more emphasis on the legend of tomorrow or whatever. I mean, that makes sense and I get it. It does just really put me on edge when I hear like, 
we can't tell the creators and the editors in charge of the comics yeah. anything about where the DC universe is going until the stupid movie comes Which out. Which sounds like business as usual for DC. Like Iron Fisted Editorial handing down directives to creators as opposed to letting them just create. Yeah. And I hate that. Okay, more importantly, the bigger question here, is anyone going to care if DC relaunches yet again? Guys like you and me that really dislike what has happened in the New 52, the idea that there's a chance that they might step back and go, you know what? You're right. It didn't work. Let's try again. I respect that. Uh, Fair enough. I agree. But if they're going to just reboot and it's going to be the same old editorially driven, super edgy, dark. But this time in TV world. Right. With a more focus on corporate interests. Yeah. I'm not interested in that. And I don't think it translates to sales. I don't know if it translates to sales. I don't think it does. If they're just going to rearrange the same creators that are doing the books that they've already got coming out. So far, the only creators that have been mentioned i think were pete tomasi and yeah guys that are already there and scott snyder right and that's fine those are both talented creators that we like this is no offense to some of the older creators but it's like no, when they announce no, a no. new title and when they go and keith giffen's writing it who gets all fired up about that you know right i mean right and nothing against keith giffen we like him but like every time marv wolfman gets another job no one's like yes <laughs> you know? but it but, also seems like they keep using the same people who are willing to play the editorial game where's the new talent right where's the where are the people that readers get excited about right or new talent that we don't know like well, and we tom, king, to tom king who, who we really like came out of nowhere and the second he i mean like he was good enough at dc doing some fun stuff and then some other stuff that kind of eh. well you know everyone's a little up and down jason aaron at marvel has written some terrible comics no that's for true that's true but i would say i mean vision which is amazing. The Sheriff, Sheriff of Babylon. Sheriff of Babylon. Amazing. You know, like when you let these guys work, they can put out good stuff. They're not all going to be home runs. Sure. But that's the lesson I, I hope DC learns is that you've got to get. Haven't we been saying that for yeah. five years on their show? You've got to get people with fresh voices that yes. have a passion for these characters that really want to tell good stories. Right. And just trust the readers to embrace it and to be able to make sense of the idea that the movies are different from the comics and that's okay. And stop kidding yourself that people who have never read comics are going to watch the Flash TV show or watch Batman v Superman and march into the comic shop and sign up for a pull file for all 52 DC books. (laughs) It doesn't happen. It just doesn't. You will slowly attract readers through people like Joe and I who are freaking out going, please read this. Check this out. Check this out. That's how it works. And if people like Joe and I aren't excited, then we're going to tell people don't bother. Right now, it's all rumor. You have to buy our love, DC, and it's not (laughs) cheap. Send your checks to. (laughs) This is all rumor, and there's nothing really to get too worked up over yet, but right now there are some things where I'm kind of excited and some things where I'm not. And Mm. I just, I want to be excited again. I do too. I just want to love DC again. Yeah. Joe, this week, Avatar Press launched a Kickstarter to fund Cinema Purgatorio, a new anthology series from Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill. Sounds Italian. (laughs) Featuring new stories by Kieran Gillen, Ignacio Calero, Garth Ennis, Raulo Caceres, Christos Gage, and Gabriel Andrade, and Max Brooks. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry. And Michael and Michael DiPascale. It's a lot of ants in there. <laughs> All built around the theme of recapturing the strange, violent, and somewhat disturbing world of the 1970s cinema. Didn't something like this just happen at Dark Horse recently? Joey. Well, there's the Grindhouse comic, if that's yeah. what you mean. <laughs> Is Avatar looking to catch some archy negative press here? I don't know. Like, I don't think so. Why is it okay for this and not okay for Archie? Here's why I think. And Avatar, it's not, don't tell me that Archie's a way bigger company. Archie's got like 30 employees. I understand that. Avatar probably has five. Making but Archie six times You know what Archie doesn't have? <laughs> Alan Moore, Garth Ennis, Max Brooks, I agree, Kieran Gillen. But Alan Moore doesn't sell books like he used to. Yeah. He doesn't. If you look at those Avatar numbers and stuff, I mean, it's nowhere that's near as That's because he puts out Cthulhu rape comics. Well, I, and that's the other side of that argument. But, I mean, I don't know where I stand on this. I'll be honest. I mean, a lot of these books that we see kickstarted end up an image and stuff, and that doesn't bother us. I mean, an image... Right, but those are creator-owned. Those are creator-owned. But and I, this, is, this might be all creator-owned as well. Avatar stuff is. I guess we don't know enough about how the business model works to really speak to it. Right. I guess with Archie, you know, a Jughead relaunch or a Betty and Veronica relaunch, those aren't creator-owned books. Well, and I think the bigger problem with the Archie one was these books were already announced and were already coming. So they were going to come no matter why what. do you need this now? This is like, if we don't get funded, we're not going to do it. Period. Which maybe that's a little more truer to the Kickstarter spirit. And I do think Avatar is a smaller company. I don't know if this is okay or not. Well, they, they, in the Kickstarter, they talked about, you know, exactly what the money is for. The money is for, you know, funding the print issues, paying the artists and, and writers. You know, it's they're actually using this money right. to get the books made. It's not like they're just absorbing that cash. Which it, and that's not to say Archie was going to do that either, but they weren't very specific as to why they needed it or where it was going to go. And I think that was the bigger issue. I, I think a, a, a way to look at it is that this is essentially like a pre-order subscription. Right. And honestly, if people were pissed, it didn't show because the fundraiser was scheduled for two weeks. Their goal was $9,100. They got almost seven times that. The fans laid down cash for this. A lot of cash. A lot of cash. I just checked it before we started, and it is over 70000 You know, and I mean, some of this stuff sounds really cool. The Gillen and Calero stories, modded, which they're describing as an R-rated Pokemon in the style of Fast and Furious in a Mad Max universe. Hey! <laughs> and then you've got a more perfect union, which they call a story about a giant insect invasion during the Civil War. I mean, like, this is, it's cool stories. If you like the Avatar horror, you're going to like this. The fans have spoken. They want to pay for it. I'm, I've changed my mind. I think this is fine. I think it's okay. I think it's fine too. Look, I didn't care about the Archie thing either. I did a I, little. But my my question about this was not how dare Avatar. My question was how dare the fans roll over for this and and bitch at Archie. I think it feels different. Look, it's not like Archie had stacks of cash laying around to publish these books. They and I it was that. Either, they wanted to put them out. They wanted to capitalize. On the popularity of the Archie relaunch and get those books out fast. I understand that, but the books still came out. Even they canceled Eventually. the Kickstarter. It still came out and everything was fine. Archie's numbers are doing fine. I know. I know. It's I just, just, I think this like, is different. And, and maybe it's only different because of the way they set it up and the transparency. Sure. It's, but when I hear stuff like that, like, oh, the internet's pissed at Zach Braff because he went to Kickstarter to fund his little right. indie movie. Yeah. 
Do you think Zach Braff has enough movie just uh, money just laying around to fund yeah. an entire movie like on his own? That Scrubs billionaire. Like how Zach dare Braff. he? <laughs> get a get a life, you guys. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything you think we missed, hit us up on the big news section of the THN forums where Joe Patrick is still bragging about the heaps of money he pulled in from his Good Plus webcomic. Oh, yeah, and I have not done <laughs> shit for that. That guy never has to work again. Every week, Bitcoin billionaire Joe Patrick posts the question of the week on the Teach and Forums. Joey, what are we asking these lonely listeners this week? As if you didn't know, you pervert. (laughs) This week's question comes from Matt. Me. It's Valentine's Day inspired, of course. Sooner or later, as a comic reader, it happens. You fall in love with a fictional character. It's true. Whether it's for the way they wear a costume or their valor in battle, we want to know who is your comic book crush. Matt wants to give bonus points if you pick one of each gender. That's right. We don't got to be binary about it, Matt. Gen- don't be so heteronormative. <laughs> no, I'm saying one of each gender. Yeah, I get it. Just gender is fluid, buddy. No, but like I'm into this dude. I'm into this girl. I'm yeah. into that, you know, talking squirrel, whatever. I, <laughs> I get it. You don't get it. I get it. Look, also, he says, if you pick an animal, you're sick, and we don't want your freaky shit here. It's true. Listen. Keep you, that furry shit to yourself. If you want to love an animal, that's fine. If you're, no. If your comic book no. crush is, is... Don't listen to this disgusting freak, although I do think Hepzibah <laughs> super sexy. Yeah, she's a skunk woman. I understand. She's an alien, you monster. It's not like I'm having sex with Howard the Duck like Leah Thompson did. If your that comic was book, disgusting. If your comic book crush is Whitey from Chimelia from oh. Power Pack... Oh. <laughs> If your comic book crush is Beta Ray Bill, who are we to say? Hey, that guy is ripped up, all right? You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday. That's February 12th. Correct. Sometimes we don't say the right date. It's true. But we always mean Friday. Yep. Just just remember Friday. It's easier. You can call and leave a message with your answer using Skype. The handle there is two-headed nerd, all one word. If you have ever tried to call us using Skype, we want to know. Yeah. Sometimes it tells us, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, sometimes when you call, it does not even record the greeting. Yeah, she's a mysterious mistress. Yeah. <laughs> not enough. She's not getting enough Valentine's presents. It's usually easier if you call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. It's never let us down. No. Except for those times that it does let us down. If you're feeling horny, you know who you are. Yeah. You can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Whatever you choose. Keep it under two minutes. Keep it in your pants. We don't want it to get out of control. Yeah, this doesn't need to turn this into a sleaze. Purely innocent. We're talking about a crush. Like, oh, he's cute. You know, I don't want to hear about them jiggling and bouncing inside. Like, you know, seriously. No, Orca, you know who you yeah, are. He's slapping his hands and licking his chops right now. <laughs> if you need more time, if you've got multiple answers, head to the THN forums. There's a whole section for you to go. Buck Wild. And then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. It's review time in the Ziggurat where we read and discuss two of this week's comics and rate them on our buy it, skim it, or leave it scale. For a second there, I thought it said read and dismiss, which we also <laughs> sometimes do. <laughs> 
Matt, what comic did you ask to be your Valentine this week? This week, I decided to review Mirror Number 1 from Image Comics, written by Emma Rios, with art by Huey Lim. And we looked that up. On I think how- it's Huey. Didn't we look it up last week on how to pronounce names and it said Huey? Maybe. It- okay. Okay. Sure, that's fine. I have championed weird comics with strange narratives on this show for five damn years now. Last week, I tried desperately to defend Prophet Earth War from an angry Joe Patrick and have praised the likes of comics like Sweet Tooth and Debbie's Inferno. So I dove into Emma Rios's mirror and I was ready. It was going to be strange, fantastic, experimental, other adjectives too. And mirror was all of those things. And well, more, I guess. (laughs) The story opens with a compelling story of a boy and his dog with a twist The dog undergoes some type of experimental gene therapy that turns it into a talking female dog. Well, it was probably already a female dog. Technically, a bitch. And the story of a boy and his dog becomes something else entirely. I think a bitch is specifically a mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A mother dog. Okay, whatever. Becomes uh, a love story. No spoilers, but it's a short love story at best. From there, we're catapulted 30-some years in the future where we meet Zoon, an innocent and good-hearted albino rat boy that has a relationship with several other human-animal crossbreeds. Zoon takes care of a talking bear that's lost its mind in captivity and seems to drop hints of a war in the past while obviously suffering from dementia. He works for a human scientist that doesn't enjoy how the crossbreeds are treated, who in turn works for some kind of warlord that has no use for the crossbreeds because the experiments have yet to produce new soldiers for some type of war. Like Rios's storytelling, Lum's art is very loose and looks watercolored with colors bleeding out of lines to create a dreamy and mysterious feel to the story. He has a style that reminds me of Fiona Staples' work on Saga, but even more free and soft. Rios is probably best known for her work illustrating the hell out of her other image series, Pretty Deadly. And while this isn't her first writing gig, it is her first ongoing as a writer. I'm all about experimenting with storytelling. I'm not going to go to my handy old, they didn't hold your hand here metaphor. But I will say that Rios' storytelling was so gentle that it was easy to get lost in the dreamy art. The issue started strong, moving very quickly with the boy and his dog story. But when we meet the main characters... Things slowed down quite a bit, and there was no fleshing out of the history or the setting or the plot, really, whatsoever. There's a lot of hints of a larger narrative of warlords creating genetic crossbreed soldiers, but no hint as to what they're fighting for or even where they are fighting. When the action does kick in, I still found myself confused as to how this world works, and I don't want to... I don't want giant info dumps and excessive narration in my comics, but I need a little more than this. The art is wonderful. It's different than anything on the stands, and it obviously isn't afraid to challenge the reader, but pair the art style with the very light-handed storytelling, and it's hard to connect. I know there's something interesting going on here. I just need a little more to get hooked. I'm giving it a skim it. See, this is funny because you loved it. I did really enjoy it. Unbelievable. I thought for certain you're going to be like, f*** this book. (laughs) No. I really enjoyed it. And I totally disagree. I thought that they, I thought Emma Rios did a great job setting up the story. It's all right there. I mean, it's issue number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get that. It's all in the dialogue. They are at war with another house. Right. Where are they? Are they on Earth? No. In the back matter, there was like a- In the cover text. Okay. On the inside front cover where they had the credits- it said 
that it was part of the eight house universe. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously it's not Earth. Right. So what does it matter? No, I was just curious. Do I you just... need them to name the world that they're no, on? Well, I mean, maybe something. Give me something. They are in a sci-fi fantasy world. Like, we're the kingdom of Quiveria or whatever. That's not know. important. <laughs> the name of the place is totally unimportant. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I thought that they did a, uh, Emma Rios did a great job fleshing out the world without, like you said, without dumping too much info. It's all right there in the dialogue. They stepped back and let the art tell a lot of the story just in like small panels, you know, where Emma Rios will have a character making a comment about something. Right. And then in the art, you see Cena, the dog. Right. Uh, like remembering what happened after they were separated when, when he was a child. Right. You know, in a series of, you know, beautiful water, watercolor panels. Yeah, I just, I really liked it. I thought the storytelling was fine. I loved the art, FYI. Kwai Lin uh, Lim is a woman. Okay. Not a dude. All right. Not that, that it matters, but just for our own accuracy. <laughs> <laughs> and so as opposed to Profit last week. Right. I thought that this was very easy to grasp and latch onto and that the characters were fleshed out enough that I was interested in uh, what happens to them and seeing where they go. And it wasn't so dense that my brain just went, enough! Well, you were also jumping into the final chapter of a story with Prophet. Yeah, but it was a number one. I, and maybe they shouldn't have done that. Yeah. That, that could be a numbering thing. Had it just been Prophet 42. Sure. I don't know. I liked this a lot better than I liked Prophet. Okay. But this is also a little bit. I also bit- liked it. Yeah, I mean, I'm giving it a buy it, though. Okay. Because I finished it, and I was like, man, that is good. That was I, good. I liked it. I just don't know if I want more yet. That's why I gave it a skim it. I need to read more of it. And so far, I've kind of felt this way about all the Eight House books. Yes, but um, I believe the record will reflect that we have tried all the Eight House books and give it given buy it to all of the first issues. Yeah. And then kind of lost interest yeah, as like, we went eh, along. Where'd that go? But for now... <laughs> I'm into it. I really liked it. I thought it was gorgeous. Joe Patrick, we got a bunch of puppy dogs in this room. Why don't you tell me about Kennel Block Blues? This is a weird animal themed episode and we didn't even plan it that way. I know, right? It's just supposed to be Valentine's Day. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yes. Kennel Block Blues number one from Boom Studios written by Ryan Ferrier. Art by Daniel Bayless. Colors by Adam Metcalf. 32 pages, $3.99. It's your standard comic book. Here's your solicit. Oliver is a good dog, a family dog, but without warning, he's sentenced to Jackson Kennel, where he's instantly placed on death row with the rest of his fellow inmates, awaiting a lethal appointment on the table. If salvation doesn't come, he'll need help escaping the kennel, but when the stress of prison life builds, he starts escaping reality instead, imagining a fantasy world of cartoon friends. It's time to break out into a musical number? <laughs> so before we get into it, he's a Boston Terrier. <laughs> yeah, he's some, some he's sort of... He's a Boston Terrier. He's some sort right? of Terrier, yeah. Okay. So this book got a lot of advanced buzz before its release, thanks in large part to Boom having the confidence to release the entire first issue for free on their Tumblr back in January. That's cool. I didn't yeah. even know they did that. They released it like a page at a time. Oh, that's cool. Over the course of a little bit of time, and it had a huge watermark on it, so of course you couldn't pirate it, but it's right. like, here you go, check it out. Was it like the IDW watermark where you can barely read it? <laughs> it was less It was less obtrusive than the IDW watermark. I neglected to check it out then, but when I saw Kennel Block Blues on the release list for this week, I knew I was going to have to check it out. 
because I was very curious about it. And they don't waste any time getting right down to it. Oliver is one screwed up dog. Like the solicit said, whenever things get too intense, he retreats into this surreal, uh, very early Disney-esque animated song and dance hallucination where he isn't afraid to fully engage in what he thinks is reality. <laughs> that means that when he snaps out of it, he discovers that he's kicked over a table full of food or gotten uncomfortably close to a very dangerous cat. Luckily, he has some support, sort of, in the form of a group of misfit inmates that take him under their wing and a kind-hearted but terrifying bruiser named Cosmo that enters Jackson Kennel on the same day as Oliver. Despite the fact that the story is told through the actions of anthropomorphized animals, Ferrier and Bayless present a really grim prison tale complete with all of the tropes that come with it, like gangs divided along racial lines, species in this case, the tough-as-nails lifer that acts on principle despite the consequences, and the impossible choices that the innocent are forced to make when they are thrown into an unreal situation. All of the characters are distinct and memorable thanks in no small part to the amazing art by Bayless and Metcalf. Bayless manages to bring a huge cast of characters to life and all of them are visually individual despite the fact that they're drawn with a mashup of human and animal features. Like Matt said, you look at Oliver and it's like, Terrier. Yeah. You look at... Uh, well, terrier head on a dude body. <laughs> well, right, but you know what it is. Right. Every species or breed of animal is easily identifiable and the characteristics of those breeds shine through their actual character. No pugs, though. What the f***? That's because pugs don't go to prison, man. They're too good. You're right. Like the wiry intensity of sugar, the chihuahua, <laughs> uh, the aloof superiority of Pickles, who is the leader of the cat gang. <laughs> and on top of that, Bayless creates a believable environment that would fit right in with a traditional prison tale. Adam Metcalf's colors bring this world to vibrant life and add a blast of technicolor intensity to Oliver's hallucinations. It's really gorgeous. So suddenly, Farrier and his artistic partners remind readers that this isn't a normal prison story, as formless, shadowy guards drag a main character away to be put down violently off-camera, or off-panel, rather. And as enjoyable and almost silly as the issue has been up to this point, Farrier snaps us into the realization that this story has something a lot deeper to say about these kinds of facilities and the mistreatment of animals. You can also make the allegory go the other way sure. and talk about how prisoners are treated like animals yeah. in the real world. It's very deep. Yeah, it really is. I know some people that are such huge animal lovers that they would have a really hard time with this story. And it is very intense. But I loved Kennel Block Blues, number one, and I'm very eager to see where Farrier, Bayless, and Metcalf take the story from here. Huge buy it. Yeah, huge buy it for me, too. This is one of those stories you are only going to find in the pages of a comic book. I love anthropomorphized tales when they're really well done like this. You know what this reminded me of? I could totally see this like as a Ralph Bakshi. Yeah, kind of. Animated movie from yeah. the 70s or 80s. Definitely. Definitely. Really well drawn and yeah, deeper than it appears. A lot of fun. That's also a buy it for me. So that is a skim it and a buy it for Mirror and a double buy it for Kennel Block Blues. Now, it's time for you anthropomorphized. I guess they're all anthropomorphized. <laughs> they're really 
It's time for you lab rats and talking dogs to lift your legs on the THM forums and let us know your opinions of these comics. This party sucks. Can we just get out of here, please? Chill out, dude. We just got to the Marvel Valentine's Ball. Joey Q spiked a punch, and the black cat is looking good. Matt, I am serious. Oh, God. Let me guess. Star Fox. Fox. He's been giving me the sexy eye, brushing up against me by the punch bowl, and I think he tried to slip something in my drink. Yeah, sounds like Star Fox. The guy came here with Mantis. I mean, what is his deal? Look, buddy, you're hot. Deal with it. Now, let's make with a getting out of here before you end up on the Pornhub with Star Creeper, all while we review 10 more of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Amazing Forest, number two from IDW. Wooly Toots asked what I thought of Amazing Forest number one when he filled in for me last time. I kind of liked it, though I agree it was kind of a bummer. Yeah. So if being a downer was the theme of number one, the theme of this issue is bat crazy. <laughs> it features stories like a police detective obsessively searching for a secret society that steals ancient swords from museums Whoa. for bizarre, not murderous purposes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and a Darth Vader analog passively, aggressively waging war against the emperor. <laughs> it only gets more bizarre from there. And... As is almost always the case with anthologies, it's a little up and down, but overall, I enjoyed it. And the art was either really funny or really good. I'm giving Amazing Force number two a buy it, but be aware, it's totally nuts. Okay. Contest of Champions number five from Marvel. Al Ewing and Paco Medina are producing the most fun book to come out of the ANAD Marvel relaunch, starring an amazing band of D-list heroes. And let me tell you, there's nothing better than a D-list hero coming out of nowhere and winning a fight they have no business even being in. Here, it's Night Thrasher, complete with skateboard, and damn, Paco Medina makes him look badass. <laughs> look, if they're going to put new warriors in here, I got to go catch up. I have never cared about that character, but when he showed up and like immediately beats the shit out of somebody, he has no business beating up. Everyone's like, I didn't know that guy was that badass. I'm giving this a buy it. It's just fun. Spider-Man, number one from Marvel. Brian Michael Bendis reunites with former Ultimate Spider-Man artist Sarah Pacelli for the ongoing adventures of Miles Morales in the main Marvel Universe. They don't miss a beat, and you don't need to worry about how much or how little of the past Ultimate continuity has leaked through. The recap page tells you literally everything you need to know to enjoy this book, and you will enjoy it. Aaron Meyer said it best in his ludicrous speed reviews this week. When Bendis really loves a character, it shows. This was a great issue with beautiful art, and it's the perfect jumping on point. Spider-Man number one gets a huge buy it. You can find Meyer's ludicrous speed reviews at twoheadednerd.com. Exclusively! Every Wednesday. Grim Fairy Tales Escape from Monster Island number one from Xenoscope. I'll give the Xenoscope. Why? I'll give the Xenoscope people one thing. They keep trying. And to be perfectly honest, this comic was not bad. We meet a team of mercenaries sent to the secret island where monsters are sent to prison to retrieve some very important research. Only problem is, the monsters have staged a huge prison break, and the prisoners are now running the prison. I have no clue how this book fits into the greater GFT universe, or if there even is one at this point. But 
This wasn't bad. It was devoid of the blatant cheesecake that seems to dominate their other titles, and the hook here was pretty fun. I'm giving GFT Escape from Monster Island the strongest skimmit I've ever given a Xenoscope book. <laughs> You're too scared to give it a buy it. Guardians of Infinity, number three from Marvel. There have been so many books spilling out of an ad Marvel that I completely missed this one, which I think is sort of a relaunch of Guardians 3000. Yeah, sort of. Writer Dan Abnett and artist Carlo Barberi unite three teams of Guardians across 2,000 years, and the result is a cluttered mess that I couldn't really care less about. The art is fine, but the story, despite being full of cosmic action, is boring. How can it be boring? <laughs> the saving grace of the series so far has been the backup stories. In the first uh, two issues, they were by Jason Latour and Jim Chung. Hooray. However, the backup in this issue is written by Daryl DMC McDaniels. Tread lightly here. With art by Nelson DeCastro, Ben Grimm takes Groot back to Yancey Street, where he proceeds, Ben Grimm this is, not right. Groot, of course, he proceeds to rhyme his way through a battle with Plant Man, and both of them are dressed like characters from Run DMC. Okay, the guy's writing what he knows, okay? <laughs> uh, it's not good. It's not good. This book serves no purpose, and it isn't good enough to justify its own existence. So you would say we don't need this? Need is subjective. I'm sure some people out there like it. Okay. I do not. Right. I'm giving Guardians of Infinity number three a leave it. This is the stupidest sounding thing. I know. Deadpool and the Mercs for Money, number one from Marvel. Because there's a Deadpool movie coming to a theater near you, and soon, we get yet another comic Friday. series for the Merc with a Mouth. This time complete with a team under his command. Colin Bunn does a good enough job on the script for what is otherwise a Looney Tunes episode. At worst, and yet another argument why Deadpool shouldn't be an Avenger, at best. It's always fun to check in with some D-list villains, but not only is Deadpool not a team player, he's by no means a team leader. The story and art were fine, but I can't imagine any fan calling this the best of the 10 monthly Marvel books starring Deadpool giving it a skim it because it was kind of funny but you can't he's an avenger now you can't have deadpool shooting people's heads off if he's an avenger I'm do you sorry do you remember in the first issue of the most recent the most recent first issue of uncanny avengers where spider-man comes to steve rogers and says you cannot have this guy in the avengers yeah. and if he stays i quit yes and steve rogers sided with deadpool yeah, he's like i trust him He's with me now. That's how you know the writers aren't in charge. Dumb. <laughs> Deja Thoris, number one from Dynamite. Five Ghosts writer Frank Barberi teams with artist Francesco Mana to relaunch the Princess of Barsoom in her own title. And for once, I get to review it, not Matt. At first, I was totally into it as Deja fights to reclaim her name and her throne as part of some kind of army. But then it flashes back to the th reason that she's on the run and she's just kind of kicked forward through the plot by a bunch of dudes that are explaining how things are to her the whole time <laughs> before she's reduced to literally a damsel in distress begging John Carter to save her. She gets her shit together toward the end of the issue and strikes off on her own to figure out who betrayed her family, but by then, I was kind of soured on the issue. The art by Mana is great, but if this is Deja Thoris's book, then I need her to be more than a pretty thing for John Carter to bounce off of. If Barbary can... That sounds dirty. <laughs> uh, that's not how I meant it. 
<laughs> if Barbary can recapture the promise of the first few pages, then I'm in. But for now, Digithorus number one is a skimmit. I'd like to bounce off her, if you know what I mean. <laughs> That's not how I meant it. Action Comics number 49 from DC. The good people at DC Editorial have figured out what we want in our Superman comics, and we can all agree it's new powers for the Man of Steel. Yeah. <laughs> no. The answer is no. Whether it's an editorial decision for Supes to wear the t-shirt and jeans while getting high on kryptonite or writer Greg Pax, we may never know. But Pack does a good enough job recycling a Smallville script from the first six seasons where everyone that touches kryptonite gets another stupid power. <laughs> and Aaron Cooter's art is just stunning. He's so good on this book. I still don't care for the costume, the dating Wonder Woman, or any of the new powers for Superman, but I have to admit, this was well executed. I gotta say, the story is the Vandal Savage took his powers and he has poisoned himself with kryptonite to absorb the kryptonite and it gave him new powers, which were super strength, flight, and he can hear radio transmissions all over the world. So a lot of his old powers and this extra thing. <laughs> I don't really get it. I am giving it a buy it though, because it really was well written. Vamp Blade, number one from Danger Zone. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> this might be the most negative review I've ever given on this show. Okay. Jason Martin and Winston Young are responsible for this zombie tramp spinoff. Yeah, I think you can just stop there. <laughs> and the last half of that sentence should tell you everything you need to know about this comic. What is, in theory, a mashup slash parody of 90s bad girl comics with a dash of spawn thrown in is just as bad if not worse than its inspiration in execution, right down to the demons that reproduce by forcing their phallic tentacles down Vamp Blade's throat. Oh, let's leave that sh Japan where it belongs. Yeah. Glowing chain swords that attach to Vamp Blade's nipples. Well, I'm okay with that. I mean. And mystical abilities that, when they power down, leave the main character naked and unconscious in front of a bunch of strangers. Like old man Logan. <laughs> <laughs> This isn't a parody, it's a celebration. Vamp Blade wallows in its inspiration and it's gross. Leave it! Okay. Voracious, number one from Danger Zone. An aspiring chef with an internship at a premier New York restaurant watches the place explode with his sister inside. Literally, it blows up. What else is there to do but head back to his family roots in Utah, where his uncle left him a mysterious house with a time platform that allows the user to travel back to the crustaceous area. Didn't didn't your uncle have one? I mean, you know, what else would you do? While there, our hero discovers that dinosaurs aren't just scary, they're tasty too. And he decides to open a new restaurant serving, you guessed it, dinosaur. I like the premise, but the dialogue gets a little too bogged down in internet cute speak. Like, oh, you better be careful, or I'm gonna give you a kick explosion. And so, you know, like, uh, stop it. <laughs> And the art was serviceable at best. I can only give Voracious a skimmit. That is your ludicrous speed round, and is the onomatopoeia of the week, and also the sound of a secret spiral staircase appearing as seen in Voracious number one. I think we've all been there. Sure. That's exactly what they sound like. From my heart and from my hand, why don't people understand my intention? While Joe was out picking up some supplies for the ziggurat, 
I've been conducting some weird science experiments in the Sanctum Sanctorum in an attempt to bring two lovable losers a hot babe to talk about comics with. What is with all of the beakers and science type stuff? And who is that attractive elderly woman in spandex? I couldn't sleep last night, Joey, so I watched Weird Science not once, not twice, but thrice (laughs) and figured out how to summon Kelly LeBrock here to the ziggurat to help turn us into irresistible hunks and talk about some of next week's comics. Admittedly, I did not take into account that she would be 55. But she still looks pretty damn good, right? Hey, she's got it. Joey, what is your must-read pick for next week? Next week, I am excited for Shaft! Imitation of Life, number one, from Dynamite, written by David Walker, with art by Dietrich Smith. 32 pages, $3.99. He's just talking about Shaft, baby. Here's your solicit. After a high-profile case that put him in the headlines, private detective John Shaft is looking for something low-profile and easy that will keep him out of the spotlight and out of danger. Sounds like Shaft. Shaft takes a missing person case that proves to be more difficult than he initially thought. At the same time, he's hired to be a consultant on a low-budget film that may or may not be based on his life meta and proves to be as dangerous as any job he's ever had. But when there's danger all about, John Shaft is the cat that won't cop out, even if that means squaring off against sadistic gangsters that want him dead. My favorite part of every Shaft solicit is when they work in Shaft lyrics. Matt, what's your pick for next week? Next week, I'm excited for the return of the Badger. <laughs> it's the Badger, number one, from Devil's Due first slash first comics. I forgot a while ago, Devil's Due like, signed a deal to reinvigorate all these old first comics titles. They were quarter book mainstays for a long time back in the 90s, and I kind of fell in love with them. Written by Mike Barron, who used to write one of my favorite comic books, can you name it? Nexus. Nexus. Also the creator of the Badger. Yes. Art by Jim Fern. 32 pages for $3.99. Fans have demanded it. And now, at long last, the Badger returns. A brand new story ripped from today's headlines from the inimitable Mike Barron Badger, as you've never seen him, colon, raw, furious, crazier than Randy Quaid. Jim Fern's art will astonish the killer variant cover by Paul Pope. Man, bet your ass I'm grabbing that Paul Pope Badger cover. <laughs> the THN trade of the week is Not Away, the graphic novel from Fanagraphics, written and illustrated by Joshua Cotter. It's 240 pages for $24.99. God damn, that's a deal. There you go. The new sci-fi graphic novel from Joshua Cotter is set in the near future where the internet is now telepathic and two-thirds of the world's population share information via a central hub. Oh my god, I can't even shut down my inner monologue when I go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) When the unexpected nature of that hub is revealed, Melody McCabe must develop a new hub on the International Space Station, where a deep space transport waits to take a small crew to an Earth-like planet for colonization. Not away, brilliantly moves between physical and psychological worlds, utilizing traditional and abstract storytelling styles. I've never heard of Joshua Carter. I haven't either. But I looked him up. Okay. His past work has garnered accolades from comic greats like Matt Fraction and Farrell Dalrymple. Love both those guys. And his debut graphic novel, Skyscrapers of the Midwest, was nominated for an Ignatz Award in 2005. Oh. He's from Kansas City, so he's kind of a... Oh, he's one of the KC boys. Yeah. Okay. And the cover looked cool. I think it sounds fun. Nice. Joe, it turns out... 
Mrs. LeBrock is threatening to call the cops for her, quote, science kidnapping. That's not a thing. We have got There are no laws against science kidnapping. (laughs) We got to get this elder Betty out of here before she turns us into reptilian blobs like Bill Paxton. When we reverse this failed experiment, why don't you head over to the THN forums and tell us what you're excited to read next week. Science. Having trouble figuring out how to impress your boo this Valentine's Day? Am I? Well, have no fear, because the internet's own Elise Wisdom is here to guide your arrow straight to your lover's butt. Man, that sure looked better on paper, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know. Pay attention, lovesick nerds, because it's time for some words of wisdom. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another dose of lady power medicine that is words of wisdom with me, Elise Wisdom. I want to kick things off today by acknowledging that Valentine's Day is upon us and that Valentine's Day is stupid. It's a meaningless holiday made to sell us flowers and candy, but much like Mr. Pink and his beliefs in not tipping waitresses, you're pretty much stuck going along with it, lest you be labeled an a-hole. So today I bring you a list of fun Valentine's Day gift ideas for that special nerd in your life that you hopefully won't feel stupid dishing out money for. My first gift idea is for the horror nerds out there, and it's a giant one-pound anatomically correct gummy heart from CandyWarehouse.com. With a low price of $15, you can give your heart to your loved one and then watch them devour it in front of you. And it's cherry-flavored. Yum. My next gift idea is for the sexy scientist in your life. Instead of getting her chocolates, Show her you love that big, beautiful brain of hers with a necklace in the shape of the molecular structure of chocolate from ModCloth.com. The necklace is called Structural Sweetness and is currently on sale for $17.99. Next up is a little something for the video game nerds, and it can be for a guy or a girl. I strongly recommend picking up that side-scrolling charmer of yours, a case of 8-bit pale ale from the Tallgrass Brewing Company. I'm not usually a beer drinker, but I make an exception for this one. It has a light, almost citrusy flavor that everyone can enjoy, plus the cans are really neat. Please check your local alcohol store or the Tall Grass Brewing Company's website. My last idea is really more of advice than a gift. If you really want to make that significant other in your life feel significant, please do so by spending time with them and showing them you care. Invite them over for dinner, and if you can't cook, get takeout and put it in fancy bowls. Share a meal together. Ask each other about your day. Maybe light a candle and have a glass of wine. Then curl up on the couch together and watch a movie like Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, or Warm Bodies, or Only Lovers Left Alive. The important thing is to enjoy each other's company. Hopefully you chose that person in your life because they're your best friend, and everything is more fun with them around. Take time out of your busy world to just be together and make one another happy while you can in this life. And you don't need a stupid holiday to do that. And with that, I wish you all a happy Anna Howard Shaw Day, because feelings are stupid and 30 Rock is great. Till next time, nerds. Wisdom out. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the Valentine's Day special episode of THN. If you dig podcasts that help nerds get laid, or at least just make an informed comic book purchase, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, 
and anywhere else fine podcasts are sold. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings and reviews and thumbs up and whatever else they do, because it really helps us connect with other potential listeners. It's up to you. Thank you to our latest sustaining donor, Amy from North Dakota. Is that really how she spells her name? Yeah. Okay. It's lovely ladies like you that keep Matt and I blushing when we open our Batman Valentines. Oh, shucks. If you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. And to become a sustaining member like Amy, simply check the Make This Donation Monthly box when you donate. Remember, as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. If you want to yell at us personally, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com, where you can find links to all of our contact info via Periscope. We're on it right now. Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. You can use that number to play along with us on the show. Or you can just call and say hi. Yeah, just call and say hi. Or threaten our lives. Whatever. I mean, rather, rather you didn't, but... Well, no, I mean, I get it if you want to, is all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean... If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our pseudo-adopted daughters, Becca and Shayla, who entered our lives 10 years ago this year. I remember we came to unlock the comic book store, and there were two little baskets side by side <laughs> with babies in them with notes that said, please. With tiny teenagers give in them. them a home. <laughs> They listen to the show every week, despite not giving a sh about comics. I believe it was Shayla, who was just on, who's probably upset we're not using her code name, who was just on Twitter last week saying, every time Matt Bomb screams, that is so stupid, I feel like he's yelling at me. <laughs> they grow up so fast. It's true. Word to you, ladies. And until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer just might drop off two orphans at your door. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, <laughs> signing off. Yeah.